This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 204, Warren Pohl on ultramarathons and proper nutrition to fuel your adventure. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today, we have a special show for you about how to fuel your adventures. I think that people often struggle, I know that I do, with finding just the right food combinations to give them the energy they need to do their very best and to enjoy the adventure sports that they love. So today's guest is Warren Pohl. Now, Warren Pohl is no new kid to adventure. He fell in love with motorcycles when he was young. And he had a career in motorcycle racing. This led to a career in motorcycle journalism. He even had his own TV show on the Discovery Channel, Ultimate Biker Challenge. This led on to a career in pure journalism, but then he transitioned. He went into ultra marathoning, and he says he just got hooked on that. But that made him realize that the foods that he was using were deficient in giving him what he needed. So he started... 33 Shake. 33 Shake is a sports energy company that puts together some amazing products. I'll let him tell you all about that. But we're going to leave the motorcycle side of this largely for a later show, which we're going to have later. I'm going to have Travis do the show about motorcycles because, as you know, Travis is a motorcycle guy. But I want to talk to Warren about his ultramarathoning and about how it led to him changing his diet and ultimately coming up with the 33 Shake. So, Warren, welcome to the program. Wow, Kurt. Thanks so much for having me on. Warren, so explain this to us. You started with a love for motorcycles and motorcycle racing and motorcycle journalism, which led to ultramarathons and ultimately owning a nutrition company for sports enthusiasts. How did this happen? Sure. I mean, it it was, uh, I think it was... Maybe it was something Steve Jobs said about how when we look back, you can always create a linear narrative out of events that have happened in your life. And at the time, there's kind of a very random nature to them. And that linear narrative often doesn't exist. But actually, I could pinpoint the obsession with motorcycles and its direct connection to now owning a sports nutrition company for the simple fact that that obsession that I literally had from, you know, it was something I must have been born with because our next door neighbor had a scooter, a Honda Cub. And this was the house where I was born in. Um, and it was one of my first words was motorcycle. I was obsessed with that thing. I would just go out and sit next to it. I didn't know what it was. I was just obsessed. And that motorcycling obsession never, ever went away. Um, and it led to me when I finished school and university, instead of taking a traditional career path, I thought, I want to be a motorcycle journalist. I was devouring motorcycle magazines at the time. I just thought it looked like the best job on, on earth. And it had never occurred to me all the way through school that actually maybe I could go and do that. So I went and did that, and that fork in the road sent me down a very untraditional uh, career path, which led to me engaging my passion and my work. And that's how when Ultra Endurance came into my life, um, so around 2007, 2008, um, that path then started to become a part of my work in journalism, which is what I was doing by then full-time. Um, and then it's sort of, I was already freelance and my wife was a freelance film director and our other partner was freelance as well. And the three of us, as we came together with formulas that were making us feel much better in our endurance efforts, thought, well, Hey, why don't we take a company? Let's, let's start a company. Let's see if we can make something of this. And it was by the time we got there, it wasn't such a big jump. But it, I, I can imagine people coming into this cold thinking, hang on a minute, how do you go from motorcycles to sports nutrition? What, a, what on earth are we listening to here? So hopefully that's a little bit of that ball of string for them. So Warren, you're actually the third person we've had on the show who has run the Marathon de Sobs. And the Marathon de Sobs is just an amazing race through the Sahara Desert. We're going to have listeners out there who have never heard of it before. And that's because we get new listeners every single show. And so will you give us just the bullet points, but what is the Marathon de Saabs? So the Marathon de Saab is a 156-mile foot race in six days across the Sahara Desert in Morocco. Um, that means it's really, really hot. 
Um, it's self-sufficient in the competitors must carry everything they need for the duration of the race. That means your sleeping bag, your um, food, everything like that. All that the organizers will supply is, if I remember rightly, it's seven liters of water a day and a tent, a shared kind of blanket over a load of sticks that fits about eight people that you get to sleep in at night. Uh, that's it. The rest is down to you. Six days, 156 miles. They mix up the distances. So some days are around marathon distance. Some days are a little shorter. And on day three and four, they throw in the long day, uh, which is around double marathon or plus, um, just to, just to keep you wow. on your toes. And, um, yeah, I, I ran that in 09 and it was, uh, a truly life changing experience. I, I figured I was running to a finish line. I'd, you know, I'd never run ultra marathons before then in, in two years leading up to that race. I'd, changed my life and my my fitness dramatically uh, i literally could not run for a bus when i started the idea that i'd like to do it um and i crossed that line in the feeling better than i ever had done in my life and this idea that i would go back to being unfit like i've been kidding myself hey yeah i'll go back to drinking a bit more and yeah sure we'll have some more late nights out it's like i felt so good i just wanted mm-hmm. more it turned out to be the start of my ultra endurance adventure absolutely not the end yeah you you admitted to me that it, it seems to be a bit of an addiction for you now yeah, it's a it's a pretty bad addiction, but it's one I'm very very happy to have. <laughs> well, it's amazing that uh, first of all that anyone could complete that grueling of a race, and then to be able to say I felt great at the end, that's that's saying something right there. So, <laughs> a couple of years before that, you're saying you couldn't run to catch a bus. So, how did you get from wow, this is bad, to finishing the marathon to sobs? Um, unwittingly, it was a classic example of, of goal setting and visualization and starting with the end in mind, all of those good things that are very valuable in business and life. But it was, again, I can apply that narrative to it retrospectively. That's not how I was consciously thinking at the time. I basically, um, all the fitness that I'd had through, through school and university, I'd always played sport through then and I'd run a bit, I'd played rugby and all that kind of thing had been eked out of me by the time I was, uh, what, 31, 32, uh, by basically bad living. Um, too much booze, uh, too much bad food, too many late nights, all the good stuff that you enjoy through your early 20s and stuff, but my body was just not getting looked after. So there I was, was wrecked. And also the motorcycling had taken its toll. I count myself very fortunate in that uh, I never had any very serious injuries. Um, but I had a lot of crashes and uh, a lot of knocks and a lot of bangs and they just mount up and I never addressed them. And what do you know, really, really bad back pain that would keep me awake all night. By the time I was 30, I had to sit down to tie up my shoes. I couldn't wash my feet in the shower without sitting down, all that kind of stuff. And it just crept up on me, but I was a wreck and I kind of had this idea deep down that I was still fit, uh, cause I'd been fit when I was a teenager and into university, but I never went and put it on the line to find out how bad I got so I could still kid myself. And I tried going for a run and forget it. You know, the, I, I went to see the GP and a doctor, try and get some help. And he just ordered me off running. And I spent six months of rest and recuperation and rehab. And I still couldn't run at the end of that. And I remember walking mm. back from the park with tears in my eyes because I was facing a potential reality that I was no longer a fit and active person, but I was only 32 years old. Um, and it was at that point, not the same day, but around the same period, that a friend phones up. He goes, hey, I want to run the marathon to Saab. Are you in? Uh, he said, it's in two years' time. We need to sign up tonight. I'm going to sign up. And I said, yes, let's go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you do it? I mean, how do you break this cycle? Here you have, uh, you have you're on rest and relaxation, and then that doesn't get you running. What's going on here? Well, so basically, I, um, I had you know, a good... 10 years of abuse to my body that had not, I, I, you know, I'd been taking out those, uh, credits as it were. I'd never been making any deposits to get myself back on track in between. And I'd gone completely the wrong way. So I had a lot of work to do, but we, uh, we paid out of my friend and I paid our deposits, entered the marathon shop. Uh, two years time. I now know, okay, in two years, I have to run across the Sahara desert right now. I can't run across the street. So let's use one year to see if I can even run again. But with a goal, now instead of going to the physio or the doctor and expecting them to just fix me in one hit, which is impossible given the rack of damage I'd, I'd put in, um, 
I just worked at it piece by piece. There was no one thing. I did yoga. I did Pilates. I did regular stretching. I did the exercises the physio gave me twice as often as he told me to do them. You know, I didn't do the things that were bad for me. I didn't try and run too early. And after one year, I was able to run 20 minutes. It's like, okay, I can run 20 minutes. So the next goal was to try and run an hour. The next goal was to try and run two hours. And then I would, I put a, I think I ran a half marathon. Uh, I ran a marathon in training with a guy who started coaching me. Um, uh, and then from there, it was just step by step by step. And I knew that I had to be able to run a 50-mile ultramarathon um, two months before the marathon to start. So I, I ran a 30 about five months before. I ran the 50 two months before. And this all makes it sound a bit, bit trite and easy, but they were literally just waypoints on the way to a bigger goal. And I was fortunate in that I was able to achieve all of them um, because I was really, really motivated and it had cost me a fortune. And by that point, the entry fee was non-refundable. Hmm. <laughs> so you committed to something that you didn't want to lose out on, which was this huge entry fee in part. The, the huge entry fee, but also when you do something like the marathon sub, you can't do it privately. Everyone I knew knew I was doing it because even if you'd only told one person and you're out for the evening, they would tell everyone else. So oh, everybody great. knew I was doing it. I would have to stand down in front of everybody I knew if I failed to get there, you know, uh, for any fault of my own. So I, I wasn't going to let it be my fault. Yeah, it's a beautiful formula. I mean, we should put that into a, a little capsule for people to think about. I mean, <laughs> first, you had this awakening, right? It's, oh, I'm not in shape anymore. This isn't the way I want my life to go, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. And, and then it turns into, I've got to take ownership of this myself. The doctors can't fix me without me really doing the work. Yeah, there, there, are, no, there are no shortcuts and there are no silver bullets. You don't get fit overnight. You don't get fixed overnight. And then you set a really big goal that you committed to financially and in public. So there are lots of people that could embarrass you if you didn't pull it off, <laughs> right? So lots a of accountability, loss. right? Tons. That might be kind of the magic formula right there. Don't keep it a secret. Hey, I know all, I'm all about sharing that one. It, it, it was, I never knew it at the time, you know, but it was a classic example of all of those things, the accountability, the, the going public, the, you know, really committing and, and having a very, very visual goal. And on top of that, it was a massive leap into the unknown. You know, there was a friend of mine said to me very early on, he said, you are never going to get to the Sahara and think, I wish I'd stayed in the pub a bit more. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> you know, and that got me out every morning, you know. Well, I love that. So listeners out there, I think that Warren really kind of laid out a great plan for you. If you have a dream, you want to see your life change, then pull some of those elements in. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it worked. So you did the marathon to sob. How did it feel when you finally finished to know that you had gone from, I can't chase a bus, to that? It was... Uh, it was pretty spectacular. I mean, there was a part of me, I think this is human nature and I've, I've learned to deal with it a lot better over the years. So there's a part of me that thinks, oh, maybe I'm not, you know, maybe I should have done a bit better or maybe I should have tried a bit harder. But, you know, my goal was, it was a leap into the unknown and the goal was to finish and I finished and I was, I was so happy to have got that done. Um, and that night they, they bring in, uh, an orchestra. I, I think they still do. They bring a, an orchestra into the desert and they play a concert in the camp on the last night. And nobody goes because when you've been on your feet that long and you've got that many blisters, you're just so happy to lie down for a bit, but <laughs> you can kind of hear it. And with my, my seven co tent mates, um, who we are, we're all still in touch still today. Um, we, we had a great night just lying there and kind of. Swapping war stories, it was very, very surreal being in the middle of the desert, having finished that. Um, but really, such a start. I, I, that left me wanting much more rather than thinking, right, that's done. What am I going to go and do instead? So when you're running that much distance, Warren, mm. there has to come a point when everything kind of becomes surreal. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a story about that? Very much so. Uh, there's a race in Italy, a uh, stunning race through the Dolomites in Italy. It's called the Lavaredo Ultra Trail. And it is uh, an 80-mile run through the Dolomite Mountains there, out, in and out of a little town called Cortina d'Ampezzo. And the last probably, I'm going to say, five, five to ten miles, you're coming out of the mountains and you're kind of getting onto these little switchbacky roads 
that go back down to the village below. You can see the lights. You can see the place a good hour or two before you can even get to it. But it's tantalizing. It's there in the distance. You, you get the glimpse occasionally. That road is lined with this kind of really limestoney, jagged rock, which has a lot of moss and lichen on it. And I swear to you that the number of shapes and animals and creatures and people and things that were coming at me out of that wall as I was running, shuffling down through, it was dark by this stage. And my headlamps bouncing off the shadows. I saw deer. I saw bears. I swear there was a unicorn. There were a couple (laughs) of people. Every single time, it was just the rocks. Yeah. You know, I've talked to several people who've done different types of adventure sports ultra events that require them to go without sleep. And I think that might, the exertion is a lot of it, but just going without sleep that long, I think might be the trigger for it too. Robin Benincasa told a story about a a very, very long multi-day paddling race that she was in. And one night she said there was a little witch that it crawled up onto her bow of her kayak and it was with her (laughs) most of the night. And who knows, maybe it's actually just taking us through to another dimension. It's there the whole time, we just can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, she ended up at some checkpoint where her husband was there, and she asked him to do something about this witch that was on her boat, and he goes, okay, I took care of it. It's all good. She's gone. <laughs> <laughs> and did she see the witch again? I think that it I think that it did go away. Somehow that convinced her that life was good again. And But the sun rose soon after that, and of course, joy comes in the morning, right? Does it ever? Uh, I mean, you, you obviously know that better than most. It, it's the the darkest point is right before the dawn, and when that light comes up, it's phenomenal what it will do to you. Oh yeah, yeah. So I've got to ask: there are people that are hearing our show saying, "Who in their right mind would run that far?" <laughs> and to go more than twenty four hours of running, even. I mean, what is that about? Why do you do it? Because. Um, I think it's the most accessible way that I have found of taking myself physically and mentally to the extreme places that I enjoy. Um, and this is where a surprising parallel with motorcycle racing and things come in. You'd think these events are so different, but really it's something that forces you so very uh, forcefully into the present, into the present moment. You can't be anywhere else but alive in the present moment, whether it's mm racing a motorcycle around a circuit or whether it's running through the mountains at night with nothing but the light of your head torch. I mean, ideally I prefer to turn the torch off at night if I can, if it's on a trail, because you just get a bit more of that, that wilderness experience, but it's just, you're in the moment. That's what it's about. And and for me, it's just the best and most accessible vehicle I've found to get there. Plus the, the long-term benefits are pretty good and you meet decent people. Yeah. I'm not sure that in, until someone has experienced it, I'm not really sure that they get what you're talking about. But I think that once they have experienced it, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. I I think to experience it, though, you don't have to. um, You don't have to go and run 100 miles. You don't have to go and run all the way through the night. All you have to do is go running and say you're going to go running for half an hour. But even if you don't run much, don't think about running as pain and suffering. Think about it as being comfortable. Think about being relaxed. Think about enjoying the movement. Look at where you are. Go at a pace that allows you to look around and and feel your feet falling, feel the wind on your face, feel everything moving, feel the blood circulating around your body. Just do that for half an hour, but do it, you know, if you can, you know, get on grass, get on a trail, get it, get it, get in the woods somewhere. And just, if you experience that half an hour, well, it's just a bit more of that really. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So let's talk about this getting into the moment business. You mentioned how it really does that for you. Here's the next question. Why try to get into the moment, to the present? What's that about? Ooh, because we are shunted out of it so much by our lives, you know. Um, the connectivity that allows you and I to be able to talk like this, despite being separated by several thousand miles, is such a beautiful thing in our lives. But it also means that we don't switch off. We are constantly bombarded with phone calls, endless messages. We've got work to do. We're all busy. And piece by piece, we're dragged away from that natural childlike state of play, which is frankly just being in the moment. And being able to return to it is like a, a, just a refreshing dip in a, in a lake or something. As soon as you get back into it, you'll be very powerfully aware of what's missing. And, and if you're not, then you're an incredibly lucky person because you're in a wonderful Zen-like state of calm at all times. But for everyone else, I, I can highly recommend any opportunity to step into the present a little more often. Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. And you know, this 
comes up on our show from time to time because it doesn't matter what the adventure sport is. If uh, you're a little out of your comfort zone, you're on the edge, there's a consequence for making a mistake, and you're doing something you love to do, wow, the focus that comes in, and it pulls people into the present where, frankly, I think it just makes you feel more alive. Completely. It's it's the only, uh, I'm sure if you've gone over that you'll have had this before, but the present is the only time we are alive. The future hasn't happened yet and the past is gone. Mm. Yet we're constantly living in the past or, or in, in the future. You know, we're worrying about what's going to happen. We're mulling over what did happen. And instead, we forget to actually be here right now. And uh, yeah, the ultra running, I found, is just such a nice way to, to slot back into that. And, and to really, it almost feels like there's a lot of difficulty involved, but it's an, a way of completely punching out of day-to-day life. Because once that race starts you're gone there's your block of time you are gone it's all yours now until the finish nothing is going to interrupt you bent gate mountaineering located in golden colorado has been outfitting backcountry travelers for more than 20 years The snow is melting and the crags are drying out. Time to break out the hiking boots, rock climbing shoes, and tents. Gear materials and designs are more evolved than ever. From the latest ultralight gear to the tried-and-true classics, Bent Gate has the premier brands for climbing, hiking, and camping essentials, including Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice on destinations, getting started, or on fine-tuning your quiver of gear? The Bent Gate staff are all passionate adventurers who can give you the data and advice you need. Bentgate is also hosting numerous events and speakers this summer, so please check out their events page at bentgate.com for more information as well as to see their full product selection. Coming up soon, from September 29th through October 1st, the 2016 Adventure Film Festival will premiere at the Boulder Theater in Boulder, Colorado. Watch the year's most thrilling and enlightening independent films from outdoor adventure to environmental heroism. Explore the Adventure Street Fair, dance to live music, enjoy Avery Craft Beer at the Field Raven Beer Garden, paired with gourmet foods from Ghost Barbecue. To kick off the 12th year, there will be a community night party, free yoga and mimosas with the extraordinary Olivia Shu, world-class filmmakers at the Adventure Filmmaking Workshop, and much more. Check out the film selection and event program at adventurefilm.org. Buy your tickets now before they're sold out. What was it like on one of the longer days when you were running in the dark in the Sahara? Magical, truly magical, because the uh, that would be that was the long day, which I'm thinking, if I remember rightly, day three to four. Um, and what they do between certainly the penultimate checkpoint and the last checkpoint, possibly between between the one before, they run a laser through the sky. So there is a green laser going between the two checkpoints. Uh, you can't see one from the other, but there you are in the middle of the Sahara under, a, I mean, there's not really a lot of light pollution out there apart from this laser. Um, you've got the stars are out. You, you're in the desert. I mean, it's a crazy experience. It's a wonderful experience. Um, and there's a lot of staring at your feet and, and being in quite a lot of pain and being fed up with things most of the time, <laughs> but occasionally to just remember to look up and, and take in where you are, you know, it, it's, it's wonderful. I recall the first overnight winter backpacking trip that I did. Mm. And we started with a full moon at 11 o'clock at night. And we hiked several miles into the wilderness on top of the snow. It's snow instead of sand. But I have to think the lighting would be similar. And because it's it's night light and it's filtered light, everything takes on this otherworldly appearance. And, you know, this was many years ago, but I remember it like it was yesterday, just walking with my eyes more wide open than I think they'd ever been before, seeing nature in in a new way. And I thought, wow, I could be on another planet. I didn't know the Earth was like this. (laughs) That's, uh, I mean, that's such a beautiful description. And I'm guessing uh, there was a big addiction that struck right there, given your, your path since. 
<laughs> well, I loved adventure sports from the time that I was a kid, and so I was already on that path. But it did encourage me to make sure that I did winter camping every year and that I did hike by moonlight whenever I could and experience things in, in alternate ways. And so, yeah, you're right. It, it definitely pulled me in, no doubt about it. <laughs> that sounds special. Yeah, yeah, well, and the Marathon de Saab did for you as well. So, you know, let's talk just a little bit more about this period where you were going from being out of shape to being in really great shape. It's not just exercise. You also had to figure out how to eat correctly. And I, I want to preface this a little bit. I want to package this for our listeners. I started out the show by saying I think that our food industry has let us down a little bit. And some people would say, oh, that's just craziness. You know, food is food and all that kind of stuff. But we have an epidemic in the United States, and it's spreading around the world, of obesity, of diabetes, of lots of food-related illnesses. And many people who love sports, who were active in the past, begin to lose that. They put on the pounds. And it gets it gets more and more difficult to think, well, I could go do that again. I, ke- I hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm just too old. And I think, no, you're not. <laughs> you're out of shape, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but let's talk a little bit about this whole food problem that we have. And, and I've mentioned it on other shows. I think it's a challenge to learn how to eat in a way that fuels your body and keeps you going for doing some of these more aggressive sports. And so I'm always asking people, what do you eat on your through hike? What do you eat when you're climbing a mountain? What do you eat when you're running in the marathon to sobs? So what did you learn about nutrition in this time period? Uh, so I, I was the proverbial rabbit in the headlights when I, I ran, when I ran the marathon to Saab because, you know, I was new to all of this and I, I decided, well, you know, I'm going a long way. And I realized very quickly as I, I read around the subject that I could get fitter, but I was going to have to fuel myself because I'd need to eat while I was exercising. You know, it was going to be when you're running for six hours, eight hours, 12 hours, whatever, you're going to have to eat. And so well, I thought I'd better find out about this sports nutrition stuff. And this is where I, you know, I now know I didn't know at the time. I found out through painful experience. The food industry is letting us down in many, many ways. And the sports nutrition industry is the Wild West offshoot of the worst excesses of the food industry. It is a place where nobody's watching uh, and it is a place where they are getting away with stuff that is disgraceful and they are managing to push products to people uh, who are looking for performance that are products that are actually taking away that performance. And I think we said when we were talking earlier, you know, good health is the foundation of good performance. You don't get one without the other. Mm, And good food is the you know, the foundation of good health. So you can't suddenly start eating junk food on race day and expect it's going to work. Yet that's what most of these products are. But to come back to me making that transition, you know, I started researching and I've got that geek gene like any guy does. So I, I want to research. I want to learn the terminology. I want to find out everything. I need some data. And the nutrition companies provide a huge amount of data, how often you need to take carbohydrate, how often you need to take a gel, what you need for recovery. And I was still a journalist at the time. I was writing for all of the main UK papers by then. And sports nutrition companies are incredibly helpful to you in that situation. They will supply you a lot of free product and access to all of their experts. And they gave me all these different assorted plans. And I tried tons of these products. Yeah, I could never get rid of this one problem, which was that I felt sick most of the time using mm. these products. I had terrible stomach trouble. Um, my energy levels would rocket up and then come crashing back down again. And my mental state would track that, making it harder. But the worst thing was I became more and more dependent on these products that I neither liked nor felt like they were working. But everything I read and every sports nutrition expert I spoke to said, no, you need to train your stomach. Uh, you just need to use more of the products. They give me another sort of schedule for what I should eat when and another raft of products. Anyway. The marathon to start, I, I got through it, I ran it, I finished it, it was all good. But as my journey into endurance continued, I started looking more at these products. And I asked your question um, to a lot of the elite athletes I would meet through the journalism side, what do you eat? And they are not prioritizing this stuff. They're prioritizing whole food, 
like, you know, we want food that's as close to the source as possible. We want it as unprocessed as possible. We want to avoid processed sugar and sugar in general. Um, you know, we want just good, clean, whole food. I looked at sports nutrition. It is the opposite. It is every additive and man-made sugar that's in junk food, yet you are paying a hundred times the price for it. Um, because it's been put in a shiny sports nutrition packet. You know, that, that markup on those ingredients pays for a huge amount of marketing muscle. But that marketing muscle is doing a terrible disservice to athletes because exactly like me, you make the switch and you're like, right, okay, now I need to step up my game nutritionally. You turn to sports nutrition, you're swamped with that advice and you're going to have a very bad experience because when you pour that much processed junk down your throat, um, it doesn't just spoil your race. It ruins your health. Hmm. You know, I had, as you were telling this, I, I recalled two quick stories that I discovered just a little bit about what didn't work. I remember when I was a kid, my dad and I got up early to take a hike one day, and he handed me an Oreo cookie. This is your Ooh. breakfast, kid. Eat it. Let's go. <laughs> oh, man. Talking about not working. You know, within about <laughs> 30 minutes, I was just dragging. It was horrible. But yeah. fast forward about 15, 20 years I was climbing Mount of the Holy Cross, a 14er here in Colorado, and I had made it up above tree line. I was probably at about 12,500 feet. I started to bonk. I just didn't have any energy left. And I reached in my pack. This is before I knew better. I pulled out a brownie, yeah. you know, a little cake brownie, and I ate that thinking that'll get me to the top. I crashed so hard. I barely made it. I was like, <laughs> wow, this doesn't work. There's got to be something else. Right. And yeah. I think maybe that's what started my journey in trying to find the right kind of foods to fuel my body when I'm doing long endurance sports. And it's certainly not sugars and carbs for me. I, I am almost completely now on to proteins and fats. If I if I'm going to expect to have energy that's going to last the day, then that's where I have to turn. Yeah, that 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 for a lot of people is significantly more powerful. And it was that whole the whole business of fat adaption and um just very briefly for anyone who's not familiar with the concept our bodies have got two two fuel tanks we've got a carbohydrate tank and we've got a fat tank now the the fat tank even in a lean body it's stored fat within the body it will fuel you for 24 hours and beyond it will fuel you for a few days the thing is it will only fuel you give or take as a rule of thumb below 70% of maximum effort so if we're running we're talking an easy conversational running pace um, and then above that speed, that's where the carbohydrate tank kicks in as our extra fuel source. But through dietary changes and training uh, changes, you can raise the threshold at which you are predominantly burning fat, which suddenly means this carbohydrate tank, uh, which I may have forgot to mention, the carbohydrate tank only lasts two hours. Mm. So if you are in the red and you're pushing on that carbohydrate tank, you've got two hours. That's it. You don't need to worry about carbo loading. If you're eating a well-balanced diet, you're going to have a full carb tank before you start your race. Um, but what the nutrition industry does is it solely focuses on the carbs. They, they make the world's cheapest carbs and they sell them at a huge markup and they, they devise a model that works solely around those carbs. So all they're saying to you is keep that two-hour tank topped up. Now, this is insane. If you imagine your car has two fuel tanks, imagine one is the glove box just, just up front there and one is your actual fuel tank. They're telling you to do your long events by just keeping topping up that little tank in the glove box. And forget, they don't even mention that the other one exists. It took me four years, uh, three years maybe, talking to nutrition, nutritionists at these companies to even discover that fat adaption existed. And I had to go up Mount Kilimanjaro with a Paralympic cyclist to find that out. Um, and it was a revelation to me. You know, if you can, through training and diet, you can improve your ability to burn fat suddenly you're able to massively dilute the amount of time that you ever need those carbs. You're going to need them for sure. But suddenly, you don't need to be piling down two hours worth of carbs every two hours, you know, because you're suddenly using it 50%, 70% less, because much more of the time, you're going off your stored fat. And, and that really, that is the foundation of aerobic performance for nutrition. That's it. You, that's the cornerstone upon which everything else is built. Mm. Well, Give us a framework for an everyday diet that – and I mentioned to you just as we started the show, I really think that if you're eating for adventure sports, if you're eating for longer endurance sports, then that's the right – probably about the right diet for every day no matter what you're doing. Maybe just vary the amount of food intake. But what does 
a proper diet look like that can make people feel strong, get their bodies to to adapt to burning fats and that sort of thing so that they can go out and do these things and have more fun doing them? Okay, so um, I would always say that you know, everyone's different and people are going to have their different different ideas on what, what they like and what they enjoy. Um, so for me, I, I've come to a, basically, I, I'm, a, I'm plant-based these days. Um, I'm certainly vegetarian and, and predominantly plant-based all the time. And that works really well for me. Uh, but I'm not going to say that everyone should do that by any stretch. If we're looking at just the basics, like soda, just never. <laughs> that's gone. Forget that. Uh, yeah, that, that's never. Um, processed sugar um, and baked goods. Uh, so whether it's croissants, whether it's muffins, whether it's, um, candy, ice cream, uh, you know, and most things in the frozen department, most of the stuff in the center of the supermarket, um, they're just out, uh, highly processed foods, instant meals, just get rid of all that stuff and go back to whole foods. So we are talking, you know, there is now tons you can eat. It just requires a mindset shift. So if you're sticking with the, the the meat and the fish, well, great, go for it. Get good quality, ideally organic meat and fish. And you know, if that is going to say, well, that's too expensive. Well, kind of meat should be expensive. Uh, an animal had to die <laughs> for it. Um, cheap meat is not something you ever want. So think about upping the quality and eating less of the meat. You know, uh, that way is going to be a lot healthier if we're doing that. But that's probably a whole separate argument. But we're going whole foods. We're going fruit vegetables, nuts, uh, pulses, seeds. You can eat as much of that stuff as you want. You can eat as much salad as you can fit in a bowl. You know, I don't care how many bowls of it you eat. You can eat that all day long, as much fruit salad as you want as well. And if you're focusing on that stuff, and if you're really serious about it, clear your house out of all the, the goods you don't want to eat, fill it with all the stuff you do. That way, when you're at home, you're in control. And there may be a bit of a jag, a bit of a come down as you come off some of the sugar or it's a bit like coming off caffeine or whatever. First couple of weeks are going to be a bit tricky, but you're going to start feeling better the more of that whole food you're getting in. And if we're looking at the fat adaption, you simply want to get those good fats into your diet. Those high glycemic index carbohydrates, you know, white bread, white rice, white pasta, you know, get them out. Swap your white rice for brown rice. It's going to go through a little slower or wild rice even. That's even better. Things like that, you're going to slow down that spike that you get on that glycemic load from having those really instantaneous carbs that you you don't really ever need, let alone when you're sitting down having dinner. White potatoes would be the same, swapping for sweet potatoes. So we're pulling down those high-impact carbs, and we're going to increase good fat, which is going to mean there's your avocados, there's your almonds, there's your... Um, I don't know, all the chia seeds are a great one, packed full of omega-3s. And it might sound to some people like this stuff I'm coming out with, if you're not used to it, this is like, hey, this is like everything I ever put in my shopping cart. I now got to throw away and start again. It's a readjustment. But if you take nothing else away, if you focus on whole foods that you actually have to chop up and prepare, as opposed to something in a bag or a box, you'll be going in a really good place already. Swap the soda for water and you just made a huge jump. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's fun about this too, and I've been through this, your palate changes. Mm. What your body wants to eat changes. And over time, when you finally get away from the junk that's been false fueling your body, then if you do have a bite of that stuff, you put it in your mouth and it's like, ooh, man, I, I don't even want that. You feel your body reject it. Yeah. And uh, you know that you've you've done something when that happens because your body is now craving and enjoying foods that are nutritionally dense and valuable for health instead of the stuff that your body was starving to death on before. Completely. I, I would liken it to um, smoking. I mean, I, I, I smoked until I was 30, I think. And um, I enjoyed it a lot less in the last few years. I really felt I was uh, doing myself no good, but I couldn't stop. And then I, then I pulled the plug. Um, I met my wife, and uh, she was – well, she wasn't my wife at the time, obviously. She was my girlfriend. Um, and I, I was blown away with her. And uh, she, she kind of had this idea I didn't have much willpower, and that literally goaded me. I'm like, I'm going to show you. I am going to stop smoking. And from one day to the next, I did. And it was bloody difficult. But what I'm getting at with the cigarettes is um, – I still occasionally have a memory now, a snapshot memory of a cigarette, and I'll still occasionally think, oh, I'd like one. But I know, I, I mean, I'm never going to. It's been over, what, 12 years now since I gave up? But 
I know that if I had one, it would be exactly like that first cigarette. My head would spin. I'd feel like throwing up. The memory that I have, I'm no longer used to that stuff. I'm not climatized to it. My body's not tolerating it. My body would hate it and would revolt. And that's exactly what happens when you start getting rid of these junk foods. You may still have some cravings for them, but if you eat them, you might find it's going to be very disappointing because you no longer enjoy them. They're probably going to taste as foul as they should. Good point. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. Do you love mountains? You are not alone. Jerry Roach is well known for his extraordinary and detailed guidebook, Colorado 14ers. But did you know that Jerry has written 15 books, including guidebooks to 13ers, Indian Peaks, Rocky Mountain National Park, and more? But he's also written narratives about a lifetime of mountaineering full of Jerry's insights and humor. If you like adventure, then these books are for you. Jerry Roach's books can be purchased at his website, summitsite.com. That's S-U-M-M-I-T-S-I-G-H-T dot com, as well as on Amazon and in bookstores near you. I'm going to jump onto aspartame for just a second here, artificial sweeteners. And (laughs) listeners, don't take my word for it. Just go do the research, okay? But I've done some research, and my research has turned up that aspartame, we're talking about Diet Coke, Diet Pepsi, you know, these diet drinks. Number one, it can make you more obese. So why do you drink it in the first place? Number two, it's a neurotoxin. It gets into synapses in your brain where chemicals should not go, and it causes lethargy and makes you feel just kind of dopey. It can even lead to blindness in extreme situations, and it's highly addictive. It does you no good. And I so go do the research. Don't take my word for it, but I just had to throw that out there. We're on the subject of nutrition. Aspartame, absolute no-no. Uh, one, 100%. I mean, um, and, and again, we, we come back to where we began. The food industry does us no favors, and you know there are a lot of lobbyists, and the food industry is highly powerful, and it's able to influence, uh, even if it's not directly influencing government policy, they are able to create debate where none exists. Mm, yeah. And instead of going, you know, oh, well, sugar's bad for you, they're like, well, you know, as, as a treat, it's fine. Don't tell people what to do with their lives. Um and they do that around a lot of these ingredients. Um, but even if you are not convinced, if you've, if you've read both sides of the argument, and, and in my opinion, and it sounds like in yours as well, Kurt, there, there is no argument. These things are toxic. You shouldn't be eating them. Um, even if something only has a 50% chance that it's toxic, why take the risk? And particularly, <laughs> why are they in why are these ingredients in i get that they're in junk food it's junk food it's kind of honest in a way no one eats a snickers thinking well this is going to be good for me um you know what you're getting but when you get sports nutrition so many of those i mean snickers actually they do put sugar in them whereas in sports nutrition they are putting in uh whether it's aspartame or acesulfame k or sucralose or fructose or maltodextrin um all of the lowest grade massively man-made uh, chemical artificial sweeteners uh, in the food industry has they're in your sports nutrition um, and it's just a, it's a horror really um, if you have any doubt about what sports nutrition products to buy don't buy any <laughs> right <laughs> right well you think about it the humans for 
how long time unknown we've been eating whole foods. And it's just been in about the last 75 years that the food industry started inventing foods. And they, <laughs> they found that they could process a food, put it in, a, in large packaging with bright colors on it, and they could sell a small amount of food for more money than the whole food that it came from. Absolutely. And it lasts longer. Um, it's price is more stable on the international market. And when you're buying X thousand tons of it a week, that, that helps. Um, but there's probably, I I think we can demonize big food. It's a very easy thing to do, but my feeling is it is the compounding of millions of tiny poor decisions made by well-meaning people whereby initially we're like, well, you know, science is going to save everything and we've got a growing population and we need more food, so we need to make this plant grow some more. And we put this thing on it, it will grow some more. And, you know, people start with good intentions, but then you end up with these very large companies whose bottom lines are entirely driven by the use of all of these products, which have turned out to be disastrous. And they can't, as a company, turn around and go, yeah, we're going to get rid of all those. You know, the companies would collapse. Uh, And unfortunately, at that point, it's like trying to turn around an oil tanker. But there is no reason that you have to be on that ship yourself. You know, we're we're all available now to get very well informed and to to do things for ourselves. And and as it is with sports nutrition, the biggest thing that people can do to help themselves in this environment, you know, you said, you know, go and do the research yourself. But even before that is just get mindful about what you put in your mouth and how it makes you feel. I mean, that goes a long way. You don't even have to swallow it. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you can just put it in your mouth and your body will respond to it. It'll say, yeah. yes, that's that's it. Or it'll say, oh, that's sweet, but it, that doesn't need to go down here. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, com- completely. Because it's, I mean, in, in sports nutrition, we found that so many people want to, uh, look again, looking for a silver bullet. What's the magic formula of how many products, you know, if I'm running for this many hours or I'm cycling for this many hours or I'm hiking for this long, how often do I eat this? And the, the industry does a very good job of providing these schedules and, when you think about it, it's madness. How can there be one schedule that works for every member of the planet, regardless of age, race, gender, experience, uh, weather conditions on the day, uh, environment that they're racing in? It just doesn't exist. The more you can just become mindful and think about, well, how do I feel as you're eating those foods? What do I feel like eating? You know, I've just eaten this. Has it made me feel better or do I have stomach trouble? Um, if you can switch on to that, then whatever products you're using, if they're giving you negative input, like I don't feel well, my energy levels are all over the place, I feel sick, I hate taking that product in the later stages of a race, like those are massive red flags. If someone was giving you a plate of food in a restaurant and halfway through you felt like throwing up, you probably wouldn't say, I just need to train my stomach, it's my fault. You'd go, no, this is a bad plate of food. <laughs> it's exactly. the same with sports nutrition. Well, let's talk about 33 Shake. So this is your company. It is. So my understanding is that 33 Shake provides a portable food that you can use when you're doing these extreme activities or even just more moderate activities. It's something you can carry easily, you can take easily, that will fuel your body, and it's not a sports gel, it's not a a sports bar, it's not a a pack of of carbohydrates, right, with caffeine thrown in. So what what is this stuff? Tell us about it. Yeah, so what, what, what I did was through, through, uh, myself, uh, my wife and our, our, our third partner who brought all the real superfood knowledge to the company. Um, uh, we were struggling in our endurance racing. We're having a horrible experience with all the sports nutrition out there. And we've made the connection that, well, whole food is the answer and, and junk food is what sports nutrition is. So we're, we're like, we're trying to bridge that gap ourselves. And we, uh, started formulating products for our own use. And over a year or so, they were beyond transformative in what they did for our our performance in terms of suddenly we had much more stable energy, stomach trouble was gone. But beyond that, recovery was getting quicker. You know, we were feeling better the day after these long races. Uh, we were walking more easily, more quickly. Uh, we were sleeping better. I mean, even, and this is a case study of one. We're not saying, oh, this product does this. Um but I've been asthmatic my entire life, no matter how fit I've been. I've been on inhalers, uh, two inhalers, twice a day since they're able to prescribe them, which I think is around about the age of three. Um, and I've never been able to get off that, no matter how fit I've been. Yet since I made dietary changes and started using more of the ingredients we, we have in our products uh, and using those more regularly, I haven't touched an inhaler in, I think it's three years now. 
Wow, um, good for you, man. That's you know, awesome. and that's I still carry one in a race because it would be really embarrassing to go down with an asthma attack and and have the medics go, well, you know, have you got an inhaler? And we go, oh yeah, I left. I haven't got one. I've been asthmatic my entire life, apparently. Um, so I do still carry it for races, but I have not had to use one in over three years. So anyway, we were experiencing all of this as we're we're developing these products, and so we we went into business. We opened a website. We knew. Nothing about sports nutrition or the industry, which I think, looking back, was one of our biggest strengths because if we did, we'd have made a variant on what the rest of the industry does. Instead, we did it completely differently. We started with what's the best thing that we would want as an athlete and how do we build a business that allows us to sell that as a, as a product and, and be able to make enough money to, to grow a company with it. Uh, so we have two products and the one that we, we just launched in the U.S. in January of this year. Um, the product that we launched there with is a product called a Chia Energy Gel. And you use that the same as any other energy gel. It's like a 95-calorie shot um, that you would use during a long event, whether it's a hike or a, a trail run, ultramarathon, triathlon, whatever. The difference is it's only got uh, it's only whole food ingredients. We've got chia seeds in there. That's That's the basis of it. We've got Himalayan pink salt, the world's purest salt, for a little bit of electrolyte. We've got Madagascan vanilla um, for a very pure bit of flavoring that also has some great anti-inflammatory properties. And um, we've also got coconut palm sugar, which does deliver a little carbohydrate, but it's as low GI as you can get, and it's in a much smaller amount than a traditional gel. And the, the biggest thing about this is this mix is all supplied dry in a single-serve packet and when you're when you want to use it, you add water to it. And the reason for that is if we ground the chia, it would kill it. You would get chia by name, but you'd lose most of the nutritional benefit. We have to keep that whole. When the chia and the water come together, the chia absorbs the water, it naturally produces a gel. Um, and then you've got all of its beneficial properties. You've got a great dose of protein and fat alongside your carbohydrate that's coming in in a small amount. And you're getting all of those things together in one nutrient-dense, tasty package that means no uh, no stomach trouble because it's real food. Your body's completely used to it and knows what it's getting. Uh, no energy spikes and peaks and troughs, just steady, stable energy and a great mild flavor. And you know, I've used them for 24 hours and beyond. One of your previous guests, uh, Luke Tversky, he did his 2,000-kilometer solo triathlon in 12 days using them on a daily basis. We've had guys run the marathon to Saab with them, Ironman, all sorts of stuff. Um, but it's just, it's a real food alternative. And you did mention, um, I think we were talking earlier about gels and how they pour tons of caffeine in them to make them more addictive. Now, if you did want caffeine in one of our gels, well, make up your favorite coffee and pour that in instead. Um, it mixes really nicely. You could have one <laughs> caffeine gel in there easy. You want a bit more carbohydrate, add fruit juice. If you want uh, a bit more electrolyte and coconut water. Um, but before people think, get confused, think, well, hey, you know, I'm in a race. Last thing I want to do is have to mix this thing up. That would be difficult. Um, they last 24 hours when they're prepared. So in a shorter race, you would make them in advance, like at home or, or you know, just in the hotel or whatever. And then they'd be ready for you like any other gel. Uh, in a long event or a backwards expedition, well, you would consider maybe carrying them dry because you can get water on the way, whether it's at an aid station or where you're camping. Um, and you're then able to carry more nutrition for less weight, which is where a lot of the real ultramarathon runners have found them very, very helpful. Mm. So I want to unpack that just a little bit, okay? Mm. Several things I got there. Go One it. is that you don't grind the chia. Hundred, absolutely not, never. No, that stays sacred. Well, here's, here's the thing that's funny about that. People, we, they hear us talking about processed foods, and they're thinking, yeah, where are all these chemicals? And they, they like extract things, and they rebuild them, and add sugars, and that's processed. No, grinding the chia may, would make it a processed food. Uh, that, that would technically make it a processed food. Now, for, for people out there, so if you're buying powdered chia or a product has powdered chia in it, and you'll know if it's powdered chia because you won't see any lumps, um, then you've got chia by name but not by nutrition. Whereas if you're at home, and you're making a smoothie, and you throw chia seeds into your blender, well, everything that just got smashed up in that chia seed is right there in your smoothie. So that in that situation, you can get away with it. And it's because, essentially, the nutritional shelf life just got really short when you ground it up, but you're eating it at that point, so life is good. A hundred percent, yeah. You're getting all of that good stuff out of it. Okay, so I just wanted to make that distinction for our listeners. If you're wondering what's a whole food and what's a processed food, it can be as simple as that. It's, you know, the the seeds that we eat, nature has a way of, of preserving those things. 
they're designed to to stay intact and have all the live enzymes and everything they need to burst into new life when they're planted. Well, as soon as you grind it up and break all that stuff into little pieces, then that nutritional value starts going away. I guess that's the the point of this is you want to eat stuff as close to the the earth is what I like to say as close to the dirt as you can because then it's in its natural form and the nutrition is intact. Yeah, e- exactly that. I mean, it's uh, and it was one of our challenges to start with was the other product we make, which we're we're launching in the states soon as well. Is a uh, it's like a pre and post workout shake blend, and it's made of thirty three of the most powerful superfoods for endurance, and that's where we originally name the company from the we made this shake it was the first thing we made and it's got 33 ingredients and there we are 33 shake so um that's the product and one of the biggest things we had with that and also with the chia gel when we started short short shelf life now we've increased them a bit through better packaging as, as the company has grown but you know they're still not going to last uh, a year or, or more than a year or anything like that and people who buy sports nutrition are used to seeing, you know, best before 2019. And to be honest, you can probably eat it five years after that, much like an army ration pack. <laughs> right. it, it, it'll just bad. go forever. Um, and if your products have that kind of a shelf life, then that's a good indication you're not eating whole food. Because if you left a banana on the shelf, you would not expect to see it there in 2019. Right, right. Well, there's another buzzword that you're throwing out that I would like for you to unpack for us. Mm. Superfood. Ah, yes. Superfood. It's... uh it's a much maligned term. It, it is quite the buzzword. I think we could really simplify. It is any food that provides a higher than average bang for buck nutritionally in its natural form. Okay, so it's nutrient dense. You don't have to eat as much of it to get the nutrition your body needs. And if you're deficient, it can really help you build back up. Definitely. And it will often, I mean, the the sports nutrition industry uh, will break things down for us. So this product is protein. This product is carbohydrate. Like nature blends everything. You know, there is no food out there that is all protein or all carbohydrate. Or you don't have to add a blend of vitamins back into something to make it have vitamins in it. Most natural foods, they're packed full of vitamins. So superfoods just have a broader spectrum and a higher density of those things. So as well as the proteins and the carbohydrates, whether they've got uh, antioxidants in there or adaptogens that are going to help the body deal with certain stresses and recover better, or whether they're going to assist with reducing inflammation, uh, things like that, or, or helping out the alkaline balance in the body, that that's really where the superfoods come in. But they are they're just foods. Mm, that's awesome. So now let's go to 33 Shake, because you said that was 33 different superfoods to make a shake. Yes. Tell us about that. Wow. Yeah, so that that was, again, not something that if you'd ever gone to the school of sports nutrition that you would ever do, because 33 natural raw ingredients that all go off at different times is probably not the best thing to try and make a business out of if you're looking for something to easily scale. Um, but again, we started this business with the aim of making the best possible products that we could. And that's what it came down to. So inside the shape, we're blending, um, as in mixing together in, in their raw forms where, wherever we can, keeping them as raw as possible otherwise. Uh, product the ingredients that are going to help the body to access those fat stores and maintain that stable energy, other ingredients that are going to help reduce the inflammation from the stresses on the body of endurance, other ingredients that are going to help keep the body in an alkaline state because when we're exercising and pushing ourselves, when we're stressing ourselves physically or mentally, we're becoming more acidic. Uh, And that's before you then get into the fact of, you know, there's a lot of acidic foods out there. Now, clearly, uh, the food industry and the antacids in industry, they work very well together. You've eaten a ton of food that makes you feel awful. Just take these antacids. All the companies win. You don't. Your body should never feel like that. If you're banging antacids during a race, again, something's gone wrong. So we've got ingredients in the shake that bring that balance back down. It helps keep you a lot fitter and a lot healthier a lot longer. It keeps your immune system much stronger. Um, and beyond that, we, you know, we've got to put some stuff in there to make it taste good. So, for example, when we come to our, our chocolate-flavored shake, the cacao-flavored shake, well, we're going to flavor it with raw cacao. When, when you read those things in the paper saying chocolate's good for you, it is not. That doesn't mean a family bar of Hershey's is suddenly going to make you very, very <laughs> healthy. Not going to happen. But if you've got raw cacao, which is in probably in, in a Hershey bar about 0.1% or something, I'd imagine, by the time you got through the milk and the sugar and everything else that's gone in there, the actual raw cacao behind it all, 
that stuff is so powerful. It tastes great. It's such a great antioxidant. It's really, really good for you. Tastes awesome. So that's what we're going to use for the flavoring on the cacao one. And, and we start putting these 33 ingredients together to try and make the best possible nutritional bang for buck that you could have when you're looking for more out of your body. It's something that you can mix up as a smoothie for breakfast or even, you know, we have a lot of people in stage races and stuff, they'll use it in their drop bag, you know, just mix it with a bit of water and have it uh, have it at the aid station there. Or, you know, if you're at home, then chuck it in the blender and, and go luxurious. But that that's where we went with that product. It's like if we really took the handbrake off and made the best possible thing we could for people who are serious about, it doesn't matter what level you're at, serious about going to the next level, then, then this is what it looks like. Listeners understand, I just met Warren today with you, <laughs> and I don't know anything about his company or his products. I can only say that what he is saying matches all the research that I have done, and as my diet is improved to allow me to do more adventure sports and to enjoy them more fully, then I've been headed in this same direction. So, Warren, this sounds like great stuff. i got to try it. Well, we, we've got to get some over to you, Kurt, right away. And, and the good news is that since we did open in the States, that's a lot easier than it used to be because we, we still have everything made by hand in the UK. Um, but we ship <clears throat> all of our stuff for the States in bulk and we have a, a warehouse on the East Coast there. So all of those orders are fulfilled domestically. So you've got no problems worrying about customs or anything. It should only take two or three days to get some over to you. Right on. Well, we're going to do that. So, Warren, I would like to talk to you a lot more about nutrition, and I also want to talk to you about your motorcycle career because I think that would just be so entertaining. But we're going to save that motorcycle career for the next show when we have you back on sometime. I would I would love that. How can people get your product? How can they find out more information? How do we connect with you? So uh, people can find the uh, our store online. They'll find us at 33shake.com. That's 33shake.com. You won't find our products in stores, and there's a reason for that. The only way we can afford to spend so much more than the rest of the competition on what's in the product is by not having that retail chain. If we had a retail chain, we'd have to use the same bad ingredients everyone else is on. Um, so you buy the stuff direct from our website, 33shake.com. You'll find us on Twitter, on Facebook, at Go33Shake. You'll find us on Instagram. And uh, if you are in the States there, well, you're going to be finding us in your country in a few months because we've just done a tour over there and we had so much fun, we can't wait to come back. <laughs> right on. Instagram. So 33shake.com yep. That's where people can get this stuff. And you go to, let's see, Go33Shake. That's for your Facebook and your Instagram and your Twitter so they can learn more that way. They can find us there. We, we'd love to have them you know, reach out, get in touch. Any questions you like, you can find us on email as well, contact at 33shake.com. There's a phone number on the website if you want to call us. We are contactable every way you like. And for the great listeners of this fine podcast that you have here, Kurt, we do also have a code. If people would like to try our products out, uh, they've got a 10% discount code, which is ADVENTURE33, ADVENTURE33. Just enter it at the checkout in our store. Right on. That rocks, man. So the, the cool thing about that, listeners, is if you listen to the Adventure Sports Podcast from time to time, these people are so gracious that they give us discounts. I love it. You can save 10% to try it out. Adventure33 is a coupon code. Thanks for that, Warren. That's awesome. Hey, that, that's that's an absolute pleasure. And it's been real fun talking with you, Kurt. And I, I look forward to another one because uh, I'd also like to pick your brains on some of your backwards skills because one of the things that really addicts me about ultras is getting out into the wild. But the good thing about an ultra marathon is it's just a little bit handheld. You are on your own. But kind of the course is marked occasionally, and they're rarely navigational events, and you'll always see someone every now and again. But I'm, I'm looking to make that leap to uh, getting a bit more down to, uh, you know, just myself, a couple of friends, maybe my wife, just get out there. But I don't have the full skill set on that right now, so uh, that's something I'd love to learn from you. Well, we can certainly help there, and there are several shows that we've done in the past, if you go through our show list, that talk about um, emergency skills, backcountry skills, backpacking skills, all of those sorts of things. And for the listeners out there, I haven't mentioned this in a long time, Warren, but if you go to our site, adventuresportspodcast.com, then at the top there's a link for episode categories. And we index all of our episodes by subject matter so that you can easily find what you want to listen to. And we have over 200 shows now that are sitting there just packed full of information that amazing people have come on to share with us. So there's a there's a whole mini library on the stuff that you're talking about, Warren, if you go to that link. 
Well, I will be digging through some more of those because, uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to do a little more solo stuff out there. And, uh, I did a very little bit of that at school and it was all right then, but that is now a long time ago. And I'm aware those skills are way too rusty to, uh, to trust myself right now. So, uh, I'll be digging into your archive. Cool. Well, Warren, let's stay in touch. Thanks again for being on the show and for all the listeners out there. You know, think about nutrition. Don't make it into a dirty word. It'll make you feel better. It'll make you perform better, make adventure sports that much more fun. Until the next show, get out there and have that fun. 